Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman, your happy host here, your happy hidden host, right? Um, I haven't been too good about the quarantine thing because, well, I just haven't. Uh, I, I am an essential employee, so I have essentially been doing what I need to do, and uh, that's, that's just the story on that one. Folks, you can find out our podcast at FiringLineRadio.com. FiringLineRadio.com, all of our podcasts are on there. We're fairly active on Facebook page at Firing Line Radio Show, Instagram, and all those other great things. And you're going to find information you're going to need and uh, hopefully information you even want. So such as Dr. Stan Campbell from CCW Safe joining us here from Oklahoma through the magic of the Internet. Uh, we've got Dr. Stan here. Stan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Phil? How are things in Oklahoma? I'm in the house, literally. I'm working from home. So. Stan is in the house, but has a different meaning today. <laughs> yeah, everything's going well. You know, we um, at CCW Safe, we're, we're designed to work remotely as well. So it doesn't stop us because we're always on the move, but we're doing well. Everybody's healthy. Don't, don't you have a birthday coming up? I do. It'd be... One day after this airs, yeah, the big five zero. Yeah, our producer Dan is going to actually sing you "Happy Birthday." Okay, he he can do that. For that. Not today. Happy yeah, birthday no, ahead, to you. You don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> no, 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 I appreciate. Happy it. birthday, happy birthday, there, Stan. So, thank you, sir. Hey, so CCW Safe, CCW Safe is. Well, let me let you tell everybody what that is. If they don't know by now. All right. If you don't know by now, um, I've been on the show forever, but CCW Safe is a legal service membership plan for concealed carriers and also those who uh, have firearms to defend their homes and their families. Uh, We have home defense plans. We have concealed carry plans. You have constitutional carry plans. And you find all those things at CCWSafe.com. So... Every, oh, let me introduce our, our other guests. We also have Andrew Branca. Andrew Branca is on. Uh, Andrew is an expert when it comes to use of force and defense issues. Um, I believe he's joining us from Colorado. Is that right, Andrew? That's correct. Just south of Denver. South of Denver. Uh, Colorado Springs or? Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Okay. Well, beautiful area. So um, we're going to talk about some of the specifics on use of force and how to stay safe. and not get on the wrong side of uh, Johnny Law. 
Uh, Stan, one of the things you mentioned there about the different types of services that are available is a home protection plan. With yes, everybody at home, we've seen a lot of videos online that um, home invasions are up. Yeah, um, nationally, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but nationally, you know, in home invasions and burglaries have gone up. You know, naturally, people are home now. Uh, there's a lot of folks without jobs, so you got uh, that aspect of it. Uh, and a lot of states are uh, letting loose um, those who have not committed violent crimes. So there's a lot of misdemeanors out there that have been released, can't get a job, there's no work. So you have to really protect your homes at this time. Yeah, uh, home defense. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, go ahead. And the plan that we designed for not just these new um, gun owners, but we've had it for a while. Home defense plan uh, protects uh, the primary member, um, any and all legal fees that are associated with that, investigators, calls, witness, you know, expert witnesses. Uh, but and, and also you cover up to a $500,000 bond if, you know, you get arrested for your actions. And uh, because it is a home defense plan, we cover your spouse um, for home invasion for free and also any children under the age of 18. Those are pretty good plan. So let's let's talk about that, Andrew. Let's say that there's in, let's just go with the crazy state of California. Okay, I mean obviously we are broadcasting behind enemy's line in the People's Republic of Occupied California, uh, in a hidden location here with only one window. That's actually our egress and exit spot. Also, we have to jump out of the second floor here. Oh no, I said second floor. Now we know where I'm at. But um, you know, in California. With the crazy DAs that we have, all trying to make a name for themselves and follow the trail of Kamala Harris, um, what are the odds if you use a firearm in the commission of defending your life, what are the odds you're going to head downtown with a silver handcuffs, silver bracelets? Well, the problem is it's impossible to know because it's a decision that's not in your hands. It's a decision that's in other people's hands whose interests may not be aligned with your interests. They may have political ambitions. They may have some kind of agenda they're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, Paul, wait, 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 uh, wait. I have to stop you here. Are you saying that DAs and lawyers have political ambitions and they use cases to prop themselves up, make themselves look better? Are you actually saying that? Yeah, not all of them, but a lot of them. And unfortunately, you don't get to pick. So you don't get to pick the apolitical prosecutor. You get the prosecutor that you get. Uh, and now that decision is out of your hands. And the truth is, California self-defense and defense of property law as black letter law is pretty darn good. It's among the better self-defense, defense of property laws in the country. But the laws as they're written don't affect anything. It's the laws as they're applied that have impact in the real world and how they're applied is based on decisions made by human beings with all the biases and self-interest of any other human beings. The criminal justice system is not run by robots, some algorithm where you put in facts, you crank a handle, and you get out justice. It's run by human beings. And the moment you've threatened or used force against another person, you've placed your, hand, your life in the hands of those other human beings. We hope that we elect good prosecutors, reasonable prosecutors. I've worked with a lot of prosecutors who have been um, overwhelmingly great public servants doing a great job, but you don't get to decide whether you get a good one or a bad one. You get the one you get. And just like when we prepare for the physical fight, right? We don't prepare for an aggressor who'll stop if we ask him to stop, right? We prepare for the aggressor that will not stop, that we have to fight 
to save our lives. Well, well when, you could ask him to social distance. Yeah, and it might work, but that's not what we prepare for. And the same with a prosecutor. You don't, you can't afford to prepare only for a prosecutor who might be reasonable or might cut you a break or um, that happens a lot in self-defense cases, but you can't count on it because it could go the other way. They could decide to throw the book and that's the fight, the legal fight you have to be prepared to win. I think that's, that's really, just like you said, as far as training is concerned, that's really the key is we have to be prepared because it's something we don't know. We, and it's something we can't control. You can't say, hey, look, uh, we get another prosecutor. This guy's too mean. Right? Does, can you do that? Right? <laughs> no, you cannot. Exactly. Um, so also defending yourself, even when you are innocent or ultimately declared innocent, is still a costly procedure. Sure. And the cost is partly a function of the charge. But if we're talking about serious charges, like you've threatened somebody with a gun, not fired a shot, just threatened somebody with a gun, that's aggravated assault with a firearm. In most states, that's good for 10 or 20 years in prison with the firearm sentencing enhancement piled on top. Uh, You'll easily go through tens of thousands of dollars. $50,000 pre-trial would not be an unusual retainer in an aggravated assault with a firearms charge. And if you've killed somebody and you're looking at murder or manslaughter, uh, you could easily go through a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars before trial, and then some multiple of that at the actual trial. So it's a pretty costly endeavor to try to keep yourself out of prison. And just to piggyback to Phil, um, you know, some of the cases that that we worked, especially in California, the majority of our California cases, thank God, have been uh, cases in which someone has displayed their firearm or pointed one, like Andrew saying, and you know, the, the charge that they will be facing there is an aggravated assault charge. And, um, you know, we've worked these and it's it's pretty interesting because those DAs, they still latch on to it as if you've shot someone. So they, they really push hard for the felony to be attached to you, even even though in your words you have stated that, you know, you did this act to keep someone from hurting you. And, you know, Andrew and I, we talked about this several times and, and you know, thank God most of those cases have been successful and we've been able to push back any charges on, on our members, but it doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, Andrew and I talk about this often about, you know, um, you know, really thinking and making, making sure that you have the, the, the law behind you when you make your decisions. You, I mean, don't, I mean, of course, the bottom line is to take care of your family and you to keep you from, you know, um, being killed. But in a lot of these cases, you run into, incidents in which people don't have a, a firearm, for instance, or even a knife, uh, ends up being, you know, those who are, those who are, um, you know, without a weapon. So you, you have to really understand that. It is. And unfortunately, we'll, let's get into brandishing when we come back. We've got to run to a commercial break on this, but you're staying at home, you're protecting your family, you're doing all the right things. We want to make sure that nobody ends up on the wrong side for, silly reasons. We're going to talk about some of that defensive property, defensive your home when we come back. Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check out ccwsafe.com and Andrew Brenka at lawofselfdefense.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! 
Hey folks, you know, every week on the Firing Line Radio Show, our conversation is going to revolve around firearms, hunting, gun rights, all the great stuff afforded to all Americans under the Second Amendment of the Constitution. Now, one of our faithful companions in the battle to uphold these rights has been our longtime sponsor, Vince Torres, of Bullseye Sports, Guns, and Ammo in Riverside. If you're not armed for protection or recreation by now, shame on you. Head on over to Bullseye Sport in Riverside. We need to go for small arms, rifles, shotguns, ammo, accessories, and much more. And after you purchase that firearm, Vince and I highly recommend you attend a certified firearm safety and training course. One's going to teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitudes essential to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. For more information about the certified courses, go to bullseyesport.com or give them a quick call at 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. Hey, folks, if you're listening to that, the safe and efficient use of your firearm The other thing you need to be very, very focused on is the legal use of your firearm. Now, we all may be very attached to our personal possessions. We might like to have, I don't know, maybe our car is our favorite thing, or who knows what it is that you have that is a very favorite personal possession. And somebody may be stealing that or in the process of that on a property crime level. And that's why I want to bring in Andrew Branca. Andrew Branca, um, we're going to talk about the law of self-defense when it comes to defense of property. Andrew, can you pick it up from there? Sure. So when we talk about defense of property, we really have to divide property into two different categories because they're treated quite differently. On one end of the spectrum, we have simple personal property, just items, your wallet, your laptop, an unoccupied vehicle, for example. And you can only ever use, you can use force to defend that property, but only ever non-deadly force in defense of personal property. The other category of property is what I call highly defensible property. And it tends to include things like your home, your place of business, an occupied vehicle, a vehicle with people in it. And they're the threshold for the use of deadly defensive force may be real, uh, but it's important to remember that what's actually being protected in those cases is not literally the physical structure of your home. It's not the shingles on the outside of the house or the doorknob on the door. The, the dwelling, the highly defensible property, the occupied car is serving as a surrogate for the people inside that structure, inside that vehicle. And what the law is allowing you to do is use force sooner in the context of that highly defensible property than you would be permitted to do if you were, say, out in a public street. So it slightly lowers the threshold for your use of force. Many states also um, have special legal provisions where if you're defending yourself against an intruder in that highly defensible property, they create a legal presumption that you had the privilege to use deadly defensive force. And that's very favorable when you can qualify for that presumption. But there's always conditions that have to be met. And if the conditions aren't met, you don't get the benefit of that legal presumption. You can still defend yourself. You still have the right of self-defense, but you don't get those special benefits. One of the things you mentioned, if um, you can use force, but not deadly force, to protect certain types of property. So you and your wife are, well, we'll use Stan as an example here. Stan and a significant other are walking down the street, and somebody is dumb enough to try and steal the purse off of Stan's significant other. So Stan grabs a guy by the arm and um, bare knuckles him, just once in the head. The guy falls over and ends up in a coma and dies because he hits the ground. Now, that ended, sorry, Stan, but that ended up being uh, deadly use. No firearm was involved, and uh, the strike 
should have simply stopped the attack. What, what happens at different levels here is, you know, you use a level of defense, the result is far greater than maybe was needed. Now what happens? What's usually controlling in that kind of circumstance is the reasonably foreseeable outcome of that use of force. So if there's some bizarre outcome where you punch the guy and the punch itself is lawful, but then he stumbles into traffic and gets run over by a bus, uh, that's not reasonably foreseeable. What you're responsible for is the punch, which would normally be non-deadly force. Now, have you seen the size of Stan's fist? I don't know. Well, that's a great point. They're registered as legal weapons with the FBI. (laughs) Right. So that can actually be an issue. So if someone, for example, has an exceptional fighting skill and exceptional uh, degrees of black belts, for example, or there's video of them all over YouTube punching people and the person immediately loses consciousness and dies, well, that defendant would be treated differently because it is now reasonably foreseeable for them that their punch could have lethal effect. And this could apply to, say, a professional boxer or someone who has an exceptional degree of fighting skill. Uh, but, for, but again, for them, the foreseeable outcome of their punch would be different than the foreseeable outcome of a punch from someone without that level of expertise. So basically, the bottom line, Stan, is just do a liver kick, Okay. <laughs> But I I actually did have a case just recently um, that I covered, which was a woman who had her purse stolen. It was a snatch purse snatch as she was going down the street and she fought very vigorously to defend her purse. She did not use deadly force, so she was fine. But interestingly enough, in her purse was her medication, life-saving medication. Without that medication, she would die. Uh, And frankly, an argument could be made in that kind of circumstance. If someone's stealing medication that you will die without, that is a threat to your life. Deadly defensive force might theoretically be justified in that kind of circumstance because the taking of the property comes life-threatening. What matters is whether or not you know that there's a deadly force threat to your life. Can I ask you a question on that? I don't know if you have any confidential. Her purse was being stolen. She fought back. No, no, it wasn't. It was just a case I covered news. So this was not a case that I covered as an attorney. I just found it interesting. Okay. The guy who stole her purse, uh, who she defended herself, he got arrested, and he was out of jail the next day. He was back on the street. No, that never happened. Now a nonviolent crime. This was not a nonviolent crime. Yeah. Uh, he used violence against her. And, and Stan mentioned earlier the risks in society increasing in part because we're releasing all these nonviolent criminals from prison. Folks, we're releasing people who were not convicted of violent crimes. That's different than whether they committed violent crimes. Very yeah. common for violent crimes to be plea bargained down to some nonviolent offense. And many of these people being released are, in fact, violent people. Well, you know, I really want to touch on that because we hear this crap from California about where, you know, these poor little people, they sold some marijuana or whatever, you know, you don't go to jail for a marijuana offense. That's the last thing that they could catch you on because you were suspected of 52 other horrific things that they couldn't prove because the gang members have uh, uh, made all the witnesses disappear. But when you look at the charges that these people have had, and then what they, the last thing they were convicted on, they're oftentimes very violent, the dregs of society, people, I would love to see locked up, oh, for two or 300 years. And uh, instead, we're releasing them saying, well, they're nonviolent. They just sold a little bit of marijuana. It's a crock of crap. These are lifetime criminals bent on, I'll let you finish my sentences here, because that, I think you can tell how I feel. 
Well, part of the problem is prosecutors are, for all practical purposes, compelled to plea bargain these cases down. Most prosecutors' offices I know have 20 times as many cases on their desk as possibly bring to an actual trial. So they have to clear out 95% of those cases uh, so they can take the remaining 5% to trial. And they clear them out by lowering the charges and offering plea bargains. If they tried to take every case to trial, a society wouldn't be willing to pay the cost that would be necessary to support that kind of effort. Maybe we need like a drive-by legal system, like we have drive-by nose swabs at Walgreens, you know, just drive-by, just take them straight to jail. We can speed this process up. You know, I've had to sit for a jury selection, and I'm watching, and it's like, I, I would hate to be an attorney because I just can't imagine living through all the dead time sitting in court. And then when an attorney comes in and says, well, we need more time to prepare, it's like, look, you had three weeks. Why? You know, we're losing time. There's only so many dockets. You know, when I'm a judge, I can clear cases. We're going to get 10 done before lunch. I mean, this is not a hard thing. Just move them through here, folks. We got an assembly line. Bad guy, jail. Bad guy, jail. Next. Right, Sandy? Yeah. Hey, and, and, and on the, um, you know, to piggyback what Andrew was saying, you know, from the police perspective, you know, I, I came up and retired from, you know, the criminal justice system. And and he's absolutely right. You know, dealing with the DAs, um, the assistant DAs, um, it it upsets them at times, but they have quotas and it looks much better for you to have pled, you know, plead out a bunch of cases and get them, you know, through the docket uh, versus actually pushing it to trial. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, um, actually take care of that, you know, and and it's upsetting. It is upsetting. Folks, joining me here, I have Andrew Branca. Andrew Branca from lawofselfdefense.com and Dr. Stan Campbell of ccwsafe.com, one of my favorite guests. Love to have him. Whose birthday is going to be this weekend? So everybody, go to ccwsafe.com, look him up, send him a happy birthday wish. Uh, going to be at 49 again, Stan? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, we'll be right back after this. Have questions about handgun safety? local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Hey folks, Philip Naiman, Fireman Radio Show, Move on Lobby Saturday. Now you know, we're here at the People's Republic of Occupied California. And we're broadcasting from behind enemy lines in the bunker. Um, We are under assault. Our Second Amendment 
rights are under assault, especially in this state. We've got Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is our governor. And uh, everything that's coming out of excremento up there is just ridiculous. Now, on uh, March 20th, I'm going to read some things from uh, Sam Paredes, Gun Owners of California, who we had on the show last week here. They sent a, a letter to Governor Newsom. I'm going to read from the, from the request here, so excuse me. Declaring an exception for the stay-at-home directive for those identified as essential for Federal Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Act agency. The CISA guidance was updated to specifically include workers supporting the operations of firearms or ammunition product manufacturers, retailers, importers, distributors, and shooting ranges as part of the essential critical infrastructure. As this federal designation deemed the firearms industry as essential and supersedes mandates to close gun stores from individual states and counties, GOC has been anxiously awaiting the governor's response to clarify his executive order. Democrat Assemblyman Miguel Santiago, however, has officially requested that the governor suspend all firearm and ammunition sales, citing the perpetuation of a cycle of public panic and impulsive action. Yeah, that's the Democratic playbook. See the letter circulated among his colleagues uh, on this email. But anyway, rather than protecting our homes and families with a firearm, Santiago has another idea. He says we should be armed with strong safeguards on public health and safety. Now, that gives me a warm fuzzy already. Last we checked, the social distancing from an armed intruder is not going to help anyone, and a mask offers zero protection from the spread of looting or any other crime for that matter. Now, Santiago's request for the governor is intended to stoke public fear and anxiety. It's not only reckless, it is also tyrannical. A growing number of law-abiding citizens have been forced to realize that they are their own first line of defense. We've been saying that for years. You are the first defense, first responder. Particularly in a pandemic when resources are strained, COVID-19 is exposing all manners of tyrants with mayors, legislators, and judges believing their authority has no limits. So the Governors of California asks you to support them. Check them out at governorscalifornia.com. But this is what we're fighting with. Not only is the economy in shambles and everybody's worrying about that, but then we have power grabs by our wonderful state legislature here in, in that California. And um, anyway, that's, that's just something we want to bring up that we are always fighting for our second amendment rights. We're all, we seem to always be fighting uphill for quite a few things here. Now, when it comes to self-defense, again, folks joining me, I have Andrew Brinka. Um, lawofselfdefense.com, Dr. Stan Campbell from CC Safe, the birthday boy, as we'll refer to him for the rest of the show. A doctor birthday boy, I believe, is more appropriate. And um, we're talking about we want to be able to defend ourselves, defend ourselves lawfully and legally. Now, Andrew, what is the most common way that somebody messes up in a self-defense case? Well, unfortunately, humans are very creative, so it's almost an infinite variety of ways that people manage to uh, mess up claims of self-defense. Would you say there's a plethora of the way that? Indeed, there is. Uh, I mean, the good news is it shouldn't be that complicated. There, there's really only what a lawyer would call five elements, five building blocks to a claim of self-defense. There's not 500 of them. There's not 50 of them. There's only five. And by the way, we have a, a free infographic people can download to get a description of those five elements for those who are interested 
They can get that at lawofselfdefense.com slash elements. Totally free, folks. Free download. Uh, if you don't understand those five elements, you can't understand how self-defense law works. But despite there being only five elements, people do mess up self-defense claims all the time. Even the simplest ones, the simplest use of defense you could possibly be involved in is dealing with an intruder who's unlawfully and forcibly entering your home. That's the clearest cut possible use of force case you can imagine. And people still mess that one up, which is almost unimaginable. But they do it. By doing things like, for example, shooting the intruder after the intruder's already fled and is running down the street. Well, then he's no longer a threat. The privilege to use force against him has ended as angry as you might be and as much as you might like to continue sending rounds his way. It's just no longer justified. And someone who moments ago was a lawful defender of his home has now made himself into a criminal. You know, that's an interesting part. We've talked about that before because I don't know if, if somebody has a firearm and they're leaving the scene from you, are they fleeing the scene or are they running to go around the corner to shoot back at you? Well, that's the argument you would have to make. So if the if the fleeing intruder has a firearm, then you can make the argument that, hey, they could shoot over their shoulder and still strike and kill me. They're still in eminent deadly force threat. That's a credible argument to make. Unfortunately, in many of these cases, the fleeing intruder does not have a firearm. Uh, and if they don't have a projectile weapon and they're some distance away, they, they simply can't physically cause you that injury that would justify you shooting at them. Okay. Now, that that's obviously makes sense to me. But what is the distance? You know, we've all seen this 21-yard uh, rule. I forget the name of the test where somebody can sprint 21 yards before somebody can clear leather to defend themselves. What is... What is a reasonable distance for somebody to worry about self-defense? Well, the 21-foot the rule, uh, also known as the Tuller drill, really applies only where the other person, the person threatening you, has an impact weapon. So they need to cross distance to get to you. They have a bat or a knife or their fists. Fists are impact weapons. Uh, they can only hurt you with those if they're in proximity. So if they're a certain distance away, they're too far away. If they're armed with a gun, however, distance largely goes out of the, uh, is not part of the equation because the gun's a projectile weapon. It fires hot pieces of lead long distances very quickly. If they can see you, they can theoretically bring the gun to bear. The real question then is, well, do they appear to have the intent to do that? Uh, if they're threatening you with a gun, it doesn't really matter if they're five feet away or 10 feet away or 20 feet away. That bullet will cross that distance. It is an eminent deadly force threat. Okay. So impact weapon, I mean, obviously we can't say that this is a rule for any time, but what, what seems like a reasonable amount of defensible space? I mean, obviously if a guy's got a double-bladed axe and he's 10 feet from me, I'm considering he has bad intentions. That just For some reason, I think the double-bladed axe gives that part away. But you don't know. You know, a two-by-four, a crowbar, tire, what is, what is a And here's the danger Right. So here's the right decision on this is going to be made not by you. I mean, it'll be the ultimate decision in the sense of you've decided to use force and now you're being held legally responsible for that. But you don't get to decide the legal outcome of your use of force. Right. You get to decide whether or not to use force, but not what the legal outcome will be. The legal outcome is decided by other people, by prosecutors, by judges, by jurors. At the end of the day, a jury is going to make the determination of whether or not your assessment of that threat at that distance was a reasonable assessment. If they decide it was, you're good to go. But if they decide it's not, 
Well, they're the final arbiters of what was reasonable in that case. And if any of you have ever served jury duty, uh, you know that you don't necessarily get the highest tier possible jury that you might imagine. <laughs> That's right. Uh, are you saying they're all federal employees? <laughs> I'm saying they're highly variable in quality. <laughs> Pretty much so. So and and so, you as you just said, you don't have you don't have the ability to determine the outcome of the legal process. And during that legal process, and what are the things that happen there? From the moment you use force, you mean in terms of the the procedure? Well, okay. So you you use force. All right. Now, boom. The uh, police have rolled up. We have a situation to deal with. Um, Stan, take it from there. What what goes on from this? Well, um, I mean, after the smoke clears, and you know, uh, number one. Well, how uh, much shooting was there, Stan? Well, if you the know, smoke's got to clear. I mean, come on. I don't mean that. You know, literally, stop it, Phil. But you know, you you have to think about um, you know what you move into initially after you know defending either your life or you know. Um, those of your family, uh, you're going to have to answer for it. You know, if you uh, simply pointed your weapon or, you know, pulled the trigger and taken someone's life, uh, it's not going to be free. You know, someone's going to, you know, just like Andrew said, you know, uh, a time later, you're going to be uh, judging your actions to see if it was reasonable. Another problem that you run into, you know, just depending on where the person is in the house, you know, there could be, and there's so many different scenarios that, that you'll run into, but the first thing that's going to happen is that the the police um, first responders are going to get there, usually the the, the police in uniform. Uh, they, they, they come in to take the report and to find out, you know, what happened. And, and, and this right here is a crucial point where you have to make a decision how much information to give. Uh, you know, uh, Andrew, myself, and, and, and Don West, we spoke on this you know, many times and, you know, about what to say to the police. But this is another area you get yourself in trouble. Uh, after the police show up, you know, and, and things are happening in your body naturally, uh, you may not have the capacity to remember all the details, but as time moves on, you actually do remember them. You know, it, it never fails after, the, you know, the first responders is getting just the, the general information, they pass it on to the guys that wear suits, which are the investigators, homicide investigators in most cases. And they, they come and then they'll, they'll do one of two things. They'll uh, interview there at the scene if it's a home invasion type situation, but if it's a questionable one, which it could be, uh, depending on the way the person falls, um, they'll ask you to come down to their station and, and be interviewed there, um, uh, you know, in their homicide room or, um, you know, a, a room with recordings. So, you know, do know that you'll probably be asked to, to leave your home and, and answer more questions. And, and that's another crucial point in, 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 in the process. And that is, you know, how much do I give them without my attorney and do I stop it right here? Nothing. Exactly. So, you know, you know, uh, Andrew and I, we, 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 we had this discussion before, you know, it is important to at the scene to give them just enough information just to move forward with their their um, investigation and to pass it on and let them know that you're going to cooperate with uh, the investigators, but you do not want to give details without an attorney present because that will, that would dig you deeper in the hole uh, when it comes down to trying to defend your actions. Um, you know, and, and the other thing that you run into is that 
you remember more in a, in a, in a couple of sleep cycles. It's been studied that um, that you will right after, you know, the smoke clears, as I say. What are the rules for a police officer involved in a shooting? How soon can they be interrogated? Well, um, the national trend now, especially within the major organizations like one that I, I've come from, is to allow the officers two days rest before their their official interview. And a lot of departments are also allowing the um, the, uh, the attorneys for the union to go ahead and bring you to, um, you know, schedule, schedule one 48 hours later. Hey, folks, Philip Naiman, Friday Night Radio Show. We'll be right back after this. Hi, folks, Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. That is good. Hey folks, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out at FiringLineRadio.com. Get all the podcasts, and when we do giveaways, that's where you're going to want to find out about that. And our Facebook page and our Facebook group page and some of the shooting events that we go out and do here all the time. Uh, Joining me back on the show, I mean, this has been a great show of information. I have Andrew Branca. Andrew Branca, LawOfSelfDefense.com. A great guy to get information from, but you don't want to have to hire him. And you won't have to if you get this information from them. Also, I have Dr. Stan Campbell, the birthday boy, who is here again from CCW Safe, ccwsafe.com, an amazing program of legal services that will defend you not only, not only if you have a firearm use of force, but any use of force you've needed to defend yourself. So if you had to go hands-on with somebody, this is the, the group that's going to actually be in your corner and you want to watch out for that. We just talked about how do you mess up your claim of self-defense and as Andrew said, every single possible way. And one of those ways is saying too much, which might be a fault of mine, saying too much to the police and police investigators. And as we left the last segment, Stan was saying, Stan Campbell was saying that uh, officers who are trained in this issue, they still get at least 48 hours of rest time before they have to come in and answer questions on a police-involved shooting. Um, Stan, you want to pick it up from there? Sure, Phil. Um, you know, one of the things that we were kind of, you know, discussing was the fact that a lot of the, the major agencies across the nation and the smaller ones follow suit is they give their officers involved in self-defense shootings or on-duty shootings 
Uh, they give them up to 48 hours of, of rest of two, two complete sleep cycles so that, you know, they are now calm and adrenaline rush has, has gone through and, and your, your memory is ready to, you know, tap into. Therefore, you can give the best information and the most details at that time. Uh, one of the problems that you run into, um, well, one of the things that does for officers is they really do treat you like a victim of a violent encounter versus a suspect. The problem with citizens and the problem that you fall into, you have that mindset that, hey, I'm the victim, but officers are gathering information from you and um, they you're treated like a suspect until deemed not. Therefore, they're going to gather as much information they can. And sometimes by opening up your mouth and given what you think are the details, you, you run yourself into a problem. And I'm sure Andrew can agree with me, but you, you, you dig a, a legal hole for yourself because later on, when you do remember all that happened, then it seems like you're lying when you give testimony because it doesn't match what you said in the first place. Would you agree, Andrew? Absolutely. Folks, the, the way the brain captures and stores and recalls information under stress is completely different than our normal experience. And what happens if you're involved in an, an act of violence, a use of force event, um, the way your brain in the immediate aftermath of that event recalls what happened is going to be completely different than 24, 48, 72 hours later. I've worked with law enforcement officers who've been involved in shootings who'll tell me years later, suddenly they'll recall some aspect of the event that they hadn't recalled before. And the trouble is if you're giving multiple versions of the event over that time period, those versions are going to differ from each other, not because you're lying, but because your brain is remembering the information, the experience differently. But to a third party, it looks like little else than that you're lying. Because when a police officer hears a suspect change his story, that sets off enormous alarm bells in that officer's head. No, he's absolutely right, you know, Phil. And before you jump in, you know, we, we think about the Stephen Maddox case, which was you know, a complete murder trial worked by CCW Safe, one of our members. It was one of the first things that he said to the officers when, when they were just interviewing him about his his family, they asked how many children he had, and he said he had two. Well, he actually had three. But in that time after the incident, you know, he doesn't know why he said two, but, you know, it, it messes with your mind in reference to your memory, and you don't actually recall everything that you should. If you've ever been involved in a, uh, you know, in a hard struggle, you know, defending yourself in whatever manner, you get in a huge adrenaline dump. And afterwards, like 30 minutes after, all of a sudden that stuff starts leaving your system and it literally puts you in physical shakes. I mean, you're, you're as it's leaving your body, you, you're emotional, you're not sure what's happening, and it's just the adrenaline getting cycled out of your body on that. And 30 minutes later is right about the time those investigators show up. And so you end up putting yourself in a very precarious position by, although you want to say the truth, you not that you're going to lie, but you want to tell them everything, but you are physically under the weather. It's a really bad idea if you'd even try it. And Stan, I liked what your, uh, what your comments always are, such as that, you know, officer, I want to explain everything to you, but my attorney insists that he is here when we talk about this. I want to, I want to, you know, how, how exactly do you like to word that? 
Yeah, well, you know, there's no perfect, um, you know, script because you're going to forget it anyway. after you shoot. <laughs> But, uh, you know, but, you know, you, you really do want to explain to them because all they really want to know. And I'm talking to 911 guys. If you just say I'm not talking to you and there's a dead guy there, they're going to put you in a the car. They're going to take you to. And like I've shut down. It's like I'm not asking you another thing. You don't even have to ask for your attorney. I'm taking you to the homicide office is where I'm going to take you because I could care less about you. And, and that, that doesn't mean that everyone feels this way, but a lot of officers, they just want to do their paperwork. So you give them just a note. You have to give them your name and everything. You know, it's best on 911 to say that you were a victim of violence and you were forced to defend yourself getting off the phone then because it's their job to keep you on the phone. The longer they keep you on the phone, the more you second guess your actions. So jump off of the phone with them, but make sure you, 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 uh, you ask for police and medical, because that too may be something that will save you in the future. You know, they, they won't, you know, you know, paint you as some, some vigilante going around trying to kill somebody, just waiting to use your gun. Well, why would I have called for medical assistance for that person? So that, that too will be, you know, judged you know, later and then be in your favor, but you have to think about all these things. And that's the reason why with our members, we, we schedule the, the interviews as well, because we know you can get yourself in trouble by, by saying too much too fast. And, and it's because, you know, especially the people of the CCW crowd, you've gone through all the background checks. I mean, the crime rate for a CCW person is so much lower than even the crime rate for police department uh, personnel. And you want to comply. You want to obey. You want to be the good guy. You want to show that you're the good guy. And that's when your mouth opens up and your brain falls out. Uh, correct, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the the only things you would ever want to say, uh, even at the scene to the responding officers, are things that are necessary for safety or preservation of evidence. So there's the bad guy's knife. There's a witness who may have seen what happened. No detailed explanation of what happened because, folks, you don't know what happened. You're in that moment of stress. You don't know what the truth is. Right. And so you find out more, get the five reasons at, at uh, lawofselfdefense.com. I want to thank Andrew Branca, lawofselfdefense.com, Dr. Stan Campbell. Awesome as always. Happy birthday. CCWsafe.com. Guys, have a great weekend. Stay safe. God bless. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management.